welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Happy Cinco de Mayo, everybody. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball Today. Frank joined by Chris and Scott. And Chris, we were sad. I mean, obviously, we're always sad when you're not on the podcast. But we were sad specifically yesterday because it was May the 4th. And you're our biggest Star Wars savant here. Uh, so we didn't get, you know, any any Star Wars opinion from Chris Towers on May the 4th. Uh, my Star Wars opinions have a tendency sometimes to make people upset. No. Um, like so, other opinions. No. Uh, you know, that's, um, you know, one of the, one of the issues with, uh, having me extol opinions is like, I like The Last Jedi a lot. I think it's one of the two or three best Star Wars movies. And apparently you're not allowed to like that movie without just like a dozen of angry people all at once coming in to tell you that actually you don't like that movie uh, and you're an idiot for thinking that you do. So, you it's, know, my Star Wars takes uh, can make people... But look, Empire's number one, obviously. I think that's an easy call. Uh, you know, after that, you can, you can get creative as long as you don't include one of the prequels or The Rise of Skywalker uh, or Solo. <laughs> you can pick pretty much any of them. <laughs> you're making it, a lot of... Uh... Putting a lot of caveats on there. The Last Jedi, I, I like The Last Jedi a lot too. Uh, I saw it, you know, well after it was, after it was out of theaters. So you know, I already knew kind of its reputation. But it's it's a Rotten Tomatoes All Star movie, one where the audience score and the critic score are just so far apart. I call those the Rotten Tomatoes All Stars. Last Jedi received well by critics, but not so much by the masses. What number is that one? That's eight. Okay. I haven't seen that one. I'm stuck on seven. So <laughs> I've got some work to do, as I mentioned yesterday. Haven't seen eight. Haven't seen nine. I uh, haven't seen any of the animated stuff. So I do have some work to do. But today is Cinco de Mayo. Scott, what's on the menu? Anything for dinner? Tacos, burritos? Fajitas. Hey. Yeah, some fajitas my wife is making. God bless her. So we will be enjoying those on Cinco de Mayo. What about you? Oh, yeah. I've, I've got some. We're going to slow cook some chicken. Some shredded chicken tacos is on the menu for tonight. And I can only assume that Chef CPT, that would be Chris Towers, uh, has something great on the menu as well. Yeah, some surf and turf tacos. Uh, I'm going to do guy. a little marinated sous vide flank steak and then uh, saute some, fry up some shrimps and uh, just go to town on, on that. What was that word you used? Sous vide? Sous vide, yes. Yeah, it's I'm going to have to Google that one. It's a type of <laughs> French cooking instrument. Uh, S-O-U-S-V-I-D-E. I swear by it. It will. Uh, this is another one of those Chris Towers things that I'm sure my wife is listening from the other room and rolling her eyes because I talk about it too much. <laughs> you know what's so funny about that is that my fiance comes out after the podcast and she's like, what are you talking about? What are you saying? I don't understand. Uh, but it's funny that you bring that up. Um, and this is the value that every different person on the podcast brings because I'm sure if Adam were here, he would not be talking about sous vide, but that is what Chris brings to the show. Today, speaking of the show, we'll get back on track. The All Disappearing Act team, we got an email last week, uh, and apologies to the gentleman who sent it in, but uh, I might be able to find uh, from Brendan. You don't remember his name. You don't Brendan remember. Keeney. There you go. Just pull that up real quick. I was Shout talking over it. Keeney. Say it again. <laughs> Brendan Keeney sent in the email last week asking us to do the All Disappearing Act team as kind of like a second part to our uh, to last week when we did the All One Hit Wonders team. So basically what we're going to do today is guys that basically fell off the face of the earth. We're going to talk about you know one player from each of us who we think might be that player for 2020. And then we'll get into like the all disappearing act team from 2000 on, which I can only imagine how much controversy this is going to bring up. I am eagerly awaiting who Chris's Mark Pryor is going to be this week because 
uh, here we are a week later, and Chris is still sending tweets about Mark Pryor. So. Well, you guys were you guys were jerks about it. Oh and, no, no. Uh, I have to defend myself. I don't from, want to open up a can of worms here. From you jerks. So that's that's just what it is. All right, Chris. That's fine. I'm not mad about it. Fine. <laughs> you have a it's chance actually, now. It's, it's actually funny to me. Chris, Mark who was a Pry- player? Mark Pryor would have been a, a great candidate for this exercise if we hadn't already used him on the last one. I just want to wow. point that out. Oh, no. Scott, we're going down a bad path, man. He could count for both. They're not mutually exclusive lists, you guys. Uh, I would say they are. They're not. Chris, who's a player that has been productive the past couple of years, maybe still in his prime, that you could see completely falling off this season in 2020? Uh, I think the obvious answer is probably Paul Goldschmidt. Um, I, I would I would imagine that you guys are a little upset that I got to give my answer first because he seems like the generally most obvious. We already started to see it in 2018. He got off to a really slow start, uh, had a huge second half to make up for it. Last season, got off to another really slow start. It lasted longer. He made up for it a little bit, but you know we're we're starting to get to the point now uh, with Paul Goldschmidt where you know those slow starts. You know, you may not be guaranteed that he pulls out of them. And when he does, as we saw last year, it probably won't be enough to uh, get his numbers back to where we hope they will be. Uh, yeah, I am sad that I allowed you to go first because Paul Goldschmidt was my pick. Uh, but as you're going to see throughout the course of today's exercise, the all disappearing act team, you start to see these drastic drop offs in OPS and OPS plus. And that's what we saw from Paul Goldschmidt last year. So. I think you're spot on there, Chris, because OPS in 2018, 922. His OPS in 2019 was 821. OPS plus went from 142 to 113 last year as well. Plate discipline starting to slip a little bit. Uh, Batting average is down. The expected batting average was basically right on par with his 260 actual batting average. So uh, I think Paul Goldschmidt is a very fine response for who can fall off in 2020. And he... Uh, Scott. Chris, he uh, has, Chris, you had something else? Yeah, Goldschmidt just, you're starting to see what what you would assume you would see when a player gets older. You know, he's he's swinging at the first pitch more. He's swinging more overall, um, seeing more strikeouts, higher swing and miss rate. And that all would tend to indicate that, you know, the, the bat is starting to slow down and he's got to cheat a little bit to get, uh, to catch up to pitches. And, and I think that's, what we're starting to see, he had the highest swing rate of his career last season, 46.4%. Uh, and it was on pitches both in and out of the strike zone. So it wasn't just, you know, he became more aggressive on certain types of pitches. He just started swinging more. Scott, what do you think about Paul Goldschmidt? I know that we've talked about this a little bit. Um, and who's your pick for someone to fall off in 2020? So, yeah, I think I think Goldschmidt is the easy pick. I think he's almost too easy because it is... He's showing those telltale signs of age-related decline. And part of what you'll see for this exercise is I kind of didn't want to consider obvious cases of age decline. So I wasn't really considering players of Paul Goldschmidt's age, him being 32. That's about the cutoff I was using when I was uh, putting together this team. So... My choice looking at the current player pool would be Reese Hoskins, who's 27, and uh, had some problems last year, still ended up with 29 homers, 85 RBIs, led the NL in walks with 116, so uh, any league that rewarded walks or on base percentage, Reese Hoskins wasn't so bad, but he he brings so little defensively that if he's not leading the leagues in walks like that if he's not uh, putting together that that solid OBP to keep his bat in the line of any drop-off there without any gains as a hitter. And I could just see him being removed from the lineup at some point and maybe getting, never getting another shot, kind of like Chris Carter. Uh, it's It's gotten... Like we talked about it before, how you hit under 200 over the last four months, and his swing is just, it's so fly ball oriented, and yet he doesn't make particularly hard contact that home runs are, he's not getting many hits on balls in play. It's mostly just the home runs that are sustaining him, and it, it, it may not be enough. It may not be enough. Um, you know, his war has been awful. 
the past couple years. Yeah, I, I could just see him disappearing. Hopefully not. Hopefully he has a good long future as a power hitter with good on-base skills, but it's the, the trends we've seen from him recently are concerning. And plus, that would allow your boy, Alec Baum, to potentially slot in there at first base if Reese Hoskins does not pick it up. So something to pay attention to as well. You know, I've speculated here on the podcast before that Alec Baum might be bound for first base because he's not regarded as a great, a good defensive third baseman. So something to keep in mind there. Uh, Reese Hoskins, yeah, really struggled in the second half last season. Uh, one of the lowest batting averages among qualified players last season. The The player I'm going to choose is Elvis Andrus. Uh, through April last year, he had an OPS over 1,000. From May 1st on, he had an OPS of 640. He's going on 32 years old, and he's been very valuable for fantasy because of the steals that he provides. He still gave 31 steals last year in 2019 as a 30, 31-year-old. He turned 31 in August, so... I mean, if the speed starts to decline, we saw the OPS really fall off for most of the season last year. Uh, Elvis Andrus is a name that pay attention to uh, because I could see 2020 be, uh, start to be the beginning of the end for Elvis Andrus. Uh, you know, only our all-decade shortstop. <laughs> right, Scott? <laughs> <laughs> Scott doesn't like that one too much. No. But let's get into the all-disappearing act team. What we like to do here on Tuesdays is... We'll come up with a team, we'll do a draft, we'll do something random until hopefully uh, baseball returns, is announced to return. Uh, Trevor Plouffe did tweet yesterday that he has heard from his sources, I'm not sure how accurate or how much this means, that he keeps hearing early June for spring training and July 1st as the start date for baseball. But again, it's just speculation for now until we get any concrete uh, evidence there of baseball starting up. But how we're going to do this, head-to-head points roster, one catcher. Uh, First base, second base, third base, shortstop, three outfielders, a utility bat, five starting pitchers, two relief pitchers. Pitchers are going to be fun because there's a lot of them to talk about in terms of the all-disappearing act team. But let's start a catcher. Scott, a lot of interesting names. It's really, you know, you talked about the 32-year kind of, you know, you were using that as your threshold. It wasn't wasn't a hard and fast rule. It was basically I wanted to focus on players who – you know, kind of put myself in the moment, and I was surprised that this guy's career took the turn it did when it did, as opposed to just, well, he's getting older, it kind of makes sense, kind of, you could see it coming, sort of thing. So that's that's why I, and plus just to narrow down the search results, it made it easy to have some kind of uh, kind of loose cutoff there. So yeah, I was I was kind of thinking 31, 32, if, if that's when they drop off, well, that's just that's just father time at work. The reason I brought it up is because for catchers, they typically fall off even before they get to 32. I mean, once you start to see some of these guys approach 30, it's almost like running backs in the NFL. It's, you know, catchers just don't, you don't really see them have a uh, a long shelf life in terms of fantasy value. Could still be fine for real life defensive value, but fantasy value uh, can fall off rather quickly. So for the all disappearing act team, what catcher were you looking at here? And maybe a few honorable mentions. Who who was in the running here for you, and who who do you ultimately choose? Well, the first place my mind went was Jonathan Lucroy, and it, it was certainly a surprise when he fell off like he did. He was uh, the subject. Remember that trade to the Indians that was going to go down and, and then didn't, so he ended up getting traded to the Rangers instead. And for that half season with the Rangers, when he was like this prized commodity on the trade market, he was... The same guy he had been the previous three or four years with the Brewers, but then it was done after that. He he just stopped hitting for power of any kind. Still made contact at a good rate, but the doubles power, certainly the home run power, was gone, and he went from being to a, a stud fantasy catcher, recurring stud at the position, to just a a nobody in from one year to the next. So he's definitely a strong candidate, but I think my favorite is uh, Giovanni Soto, who won Rookie of the Year with the Cubs as a 25-year-old in 2008. 285, 23 homers, 86 RBI, 35 doubles, actually. It was a monster year for a catcher. And then a really awful follow-up, rebounded the next year in 2010 with 280 average, 17 home runs, 890 OPS, but then was never the same after that. So he had... 
he he was like he, he he his best year was his rookie year by far, and then there were a couple of times when he teased you with high end production relative to the position, but it just he just never ended up having near the career I thought he was going to have, or I'm sure the rookie of the year voters thought he was going to have when they were naming him rookie of the year in 2008. So Giovanni Soto is my top choice, Jonathan Lucroy, right there as well. Yeah, I think Jonathan Lucroy is the face of this. Uh, Soto is a great, uh, you know, input as well. But I mean, Lucroy was the f- number one catcher in 2016 in, in roto leagues. The very next year, 2017, he was the 24th catcher. He was very bad. Chris, where are you going at the catcher position? All disappearing act. Uh, Lucroy was definitely the first one that came to my mind, and I think he's probably the right answer. Although there, there, this is not a hard position to find answers for. Uh, oh, you know, they no, it is not. they call it the, they they call them the tools of ignorance for a reason. It's an incredibly physically demanding position that that just takes a lot out of you, and when it goes, it tends to go really quickly. I mean, look at Buster Posey the last couple of years; he could qualify. Uh, you know, he was still being drafted in his elite, as an elite catcher as recently as uh, the 2018 season, and he really hasn't been anything close to that. Um, so there's no shortage of answers. I think I want to go with Jonathan Lucroy, but I do want to throw out one name that, eh, no, nah, we'll just go with Lucroy. I want to throw I, some names around. I, well, so I was going to throw out Michael Barrett, who had a three-year stretch, 16 homers in a row, uh, 824. OPS in each season, including his best season in 2006, 885 OPS, uh, and then never had an OPS over 653 and was out of baseball in three years. Another one uh, would be Jason Kendall. He sort of rebounded, but you know, going back to the early 2000s, uh, 2000, he had an absolutely gigantic season. He played 152 games, hit 320 with 14 homers and 22 steals, 112 runs scored. Uh, was you know one of, if not you know in the discussion for the best catcher in baseball. His next two seasons hit 274, uh, 10 home runs, and then three home runs. So he's a, a good candidate as well. But ultimately, yeah, I think I have to go with uh, Jonathan Lacroix. It's a guy who played in a in a league that penalized a full point for every strikeout. Jason Kendall. Oh, and he played a ton too, like 145 yeah. to 150 games every year. Jason Kendall was so bankable. He was a stud in so both long. formats because he was also you know, he stole 20 bases three years in a row and had 18. The other yeah. one, he stole 22 bases in 78 games while hitting 332 in 1999. Jason Kendall was so good. Such an interesting player. I mean, it, what stood out to me was the games played as well, Scott. I mean, this guy was an absolute Iron Man. You do not see catchers. I mean, even guys that we regard as you know, the Ironman now at the position, Yadier Molina, Salvador Perez. I mean, aside from last year for Salvador Perez, I mean, those guys are playing, what, 130 games max? Jason Kendall, 100, up over 150. Yeah. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, shout out to Joe Maurer, too. I know some people might be screaming at their, uh, screaming at the podcast saying, where's Joe Maurer? Where's Joe Maurer? He had that monster year. Well, the thing was, he still had some other really productive seasons where he gave you a high batting average. So it's not like yeah. he ever completely fell off i mean the power did but he was still kind of useful i, I was fantasy. kind of reluctant to include anybody who still had time to put together a hall of fame career and right. i guess it's debatable whether joe mauer's going to the hall of fame I, I think he is but but we'll see we'll see I, I i thought he had enough of a career that um by the time his production dropped off he had still made his mark on the game i guess so it wasn't it one of the it wasn't one of those what if cases that i think is the spirit of this exercise shout out to willen rosario of the rockies as well 28 home runs in 2012 21 in 2013 then 13 home runs in 2014 and 2015 was basically his last season and beef castillo just a couple of years ago, 20 home runs, career high, 813 OPS in 2017. Then just fell flat, 710 OPS in 2018. Batting average just completely fell off. So Rosario and Castillo were names. But uh, I think we're going to go with Jonathan Lucroy here. Sorry. I'm sorry, Scott. No, that's fine. I'm I'm satisfied with that pick, even though it wouldn't have been my first choice. You know, sh- shouts to Will and Rosario as well. Overseas stud. Uh, had a 10-15 OPS in two seasons in the Korean baseball organization. 
with 70 home runs. I actually didn't realize Willem Rosario was in the Twins organization last year. Hit 320 homers at AAA. There you go. Only 30. KBO All-Star, AAA All-Star. Speaking of the KBO, if anyone's out there watching, Nick Kingham last night, a few nasty strikeouts. Um, it's nice to have some baseball back, although it's not Major League Baseball, but there is some KBO going on, so we'll sprinkle it in here and there. Let's move on to the first base position. Uh, and this is one of those situations where how much do we factor in injuries because there are a lot of names that were really, really good for a long time, and then they were affected by injury. Uh, Prince Fielder is one that comes to mind. Ryan Howard had the Achilles, was never the same after that. Uh, Scott, you know, at the first base position, who are you looking at? The all-disappearing act. Who's your guy? Well, Prince Fielder's definitely up there, and I wasn't so much avoiding cases of injury because... Um, because it's not always clear how much an injury contributed to a player's demise. That's especially true with starting pitchers, and it would have just torn that pool apart. So I, I was okay including them. I think in the case of Prince Fielder specifically, you know, he had that that uh, fusion surgery in his neck about the time he went from Detroit to Texas. Uh, he still came back to hit 305 with 23 homers and 841 OPS his first year after that. So I kind of feel like his decline... Though that may have exacerbated it, it had just as much to do with him being uh, a big guy, and big guys generally don't age well. So he's he's definitely high on the rankings here for me. Justin Morneau would be my first choice, though. Uh, a guy who was, I think, pretty definitively undone by a concussion. Yeah. And yet at the time he suffered the concussion, it was like, what's the big deal? It's just a concussion, you know, because... <laughs> It's, it's obviously uh, not a good attitude to have toward, to, toward concussion, and yet it's such a common injury that so many come back from just fine. That it was it was uh, it was it was difficult to wrap your head around, especially since you know when he went down, he was having his best season yet, and that includes an MVP winning season in two thousand six. It was in two thousand nine or two thousand ten. He was batting three forty five with eighteen homers and, and a ten fifty five OPS and eighty one games exactly half the season. And then the concussion the concussion came and he had he had a couple of okay years after that, especially one in Colorado where he actually won the batting title in the NL, but with only seventeen home runs, not great for a first baseman. And uh, overall the numbers after that year were just pretty bad. It made him unusable in fantasy. So Justin Morneau is my top choice. I do have a couple honorable mentions here. Richie Sexton, who had several seasons with 30, 40-plus homers, and uh, but kind of fell off there at the start of his 30s. And then Adam Lind, who it was just... It was just... I just won... It, it was interesting to me. I saw him in the in the war leaders... Uh, during the stretch we're talking about, and I'd totally forgotten Adam Lind even existed, but there was a while when he was a pretty big deal in fantasy, and uh, it ended pretty quickly. Yeah, my pushback for Morneau is just what you mentioned about him having that season in Colorado. It, it wasn't a great year, but 319 batting average, 17 home runs. Uh, you know, he did lead the league in batting average that year, 860 OPS and, and a 125 OPS plus. So, I mean, it was still kind of productive. So that would be my one pushback for Justin Morneau. Richie Sexton is a phenomenal name to throw out there because he had a stretch uh, from 1999 through 2003, 31 homers, 30 homers, 45, 29, 45. Uh, then even 2005, 39 home runs, 34 home runs. And then 2007, when 32 years old, yeah. OPS goes from 842 to 694, just completely falls off a cliff. Uh, I think Chris Davis, Chris Davis with a C too, just another one worth mentioning because after he signed that seven-year contract with the Baltimore Orioles heading into the 2016 season, I mean, he was always up and down because of the volatility in his batting average, but he had some really, really phenomenal power seasons, uh, and he had that 47 home run season in 2015, followed it up 38 home runs in 2016, but the batting average went from 262 
to 221, and then it's just been, I mean, the rest is history. Everyone knows what happened to Chris Davis. The batting average or is it? continues did you, to Did plummet. you not see what he was doing in spring training, Frank? <laughs> you, you might be right, Scott. The book you isn't fully right. written on Chris Davis yet. No, Chris Davis is a good one. He's a little on the older side, but, I, I, you know, if, if, there's, if there's a position where you're going to allow players to be older and, uh, and still be surprised by the drop-off, it's first base. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, this guy's definitely even older than than Chris Davis was when the drop-off began, but I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Joey Votto, who we were still treating as an elite player, even though he was 33 going into the 2018 season and, you know, really didn't have a Joey Votto season that year. And then last year, you know, we don't know whether he'll be able to bounce back. I, I have some hope for it, but, you know, that would be a pretty significant drop off uh, for him, you know, a, a Hall of Fame player, one of the one of the best hitters in history for about a decade, and and over the last two seasons he's been, you know, fairly useless for fantasy. Yeah, you're getting into mid thirties now with Votto though, thirty four, right. thirty. Yeah, no, we just for me it's more about looking at where we were at the time and what people thought he was, and the assumption was that he would age really well. Yeah, he was still like a second round pick in 2000 and going into two, 2018. Yeah, yeah, going into 2018 because he was coming off that season where he finished second in MVP voting. Mm-hmm. Uh, that must have been such a tough year for you, Chris, because between Votto and and John Carlos Stanton, I mean, how do you possibly choose one of those guys? I mean, I mean you love yeah, both of them. It, it but, probably should have been Votto, but that's okay. He had an OPS over a thousand. He had 36 home runs in 2017, and then followed that up with 12 home runs and an 837 OPS in 2018. So you're right. I mean, he was still a second-round pick, but that's kind of like, if we're taking this case-by-case basis, Joey Votto was, at that point, in his mid-30s. So do we yeah, submit him? Do we, is my he allowed vote, to be used? My vote would be for Ryan Howard. I know it was an injury and an age thing, but the drop-off was just so complete. You know, he hit... Uh, 111 home runs. No, 109 home runs in his uh, 2009, 2010, and 2011 seasons. And there was already some decline, but he was still a very good fantasy option. Uh, after that point, he hit 96 in his final five seasons. Uh, never had more than 25. Never had an OPS above 784. And even that was just in an 80-game season. So Ryan Howard basically went from a stud fantasy option to a very good one to completely useless uh, in the course of one off season. It was really, you know, I think the the ruptured Achilles was in the playoffs, right? So it was kind yes. of just that was the uh, end. So how do we choose? Because I feel like we all have different answers. So I like saying, Chris Davis. You want Chris Davis? Chris wants Ryan Howard. I want Justin Morneau. Is that where we're? Yeah, yeah I think that's saying. where we're at. I mean, we need Adam here. That's what, that's how we choose. <laughs> Um, who's your second choice of those, Frank? I I would guess Howard. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'd go Howard. Okay. Who's your second choice, Chris, between Chris Davis and Justin Morneau? Uh, it's, it's, I think Davis fits in with the, just because Morneau, like it's such a tragic situation. Uh, with the concussion and it was so far out of his control, whereas Davis just kind of lost it in a way that was sort of predictable, but still the, the extremes to which he lost it. Uh, you know, he was one of the worst players in baseball history last season. Okay. So I, I would go with Chris Davis. So I got to choose between Howard and Davis. It sounds like, <laughs> um, yeah, I guess so. I am going to go, uh, I'm going to go with, they were both about the same age, too. They were both right around 32. I'm, I'm going to go with Chris Davis. I yeah. Think, because there was no injury you could point to, and yep. he signed that massive contract, which means he uh, we have some, we have uh, a front office being duped by him as well, which is nice. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Chris Davis. The second base position is filled with uh, a bunch of recent names as well. A few that stood out to me, Neil Walker recently. I mean, he's never really in a fantasy 
all-star. He wasn't, you know, an elite contributor, but he was he was a very good player. Um, you know, Aaron Hill comes to mind, but his production was kind of scattered throughout his career. Scooter Jeanette, another one there. Um, Scott, who are you looking at when it comes to second base? Yeah, this was this was tough. I'm I am surprised how many second basemen over the years have fallen off. I would not have predicted that position as being just this 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 endless vat of options. So Scooter Jeanette is a very recent example. He went from the high point of his career, a, a seeming validate, seemingly validating follow-up season to a breakout season, and okay, Scooter Jeanette's totally safe now. And then just a total collapse last year where two teams dumped him and nobody has any hope of him returning to fantasy relevance, even though I don't think he's quite 30 yet. So he's a very strong candidate and one that's fresh on everybody's mind, but I don't necessarily think he's the best one. Uh, Jose Vidro was a guy I loved when I first started playing fantasy baseball. He hit over 310 in four consecutive seasons, over 300 in five consecutive seasons with 15 to 24 home runs in each during that span. Good strikeout to walk rate guy. Like just such a bankable stud at second base. And then it just age, age 29, he was okay. Age 30, he fell off a cliff. The power numbers just disappeared, and he wasn't the same after that. Went to Seattle. Most of his career was with the Expos, by the way, if nobody knows who Jose Vidra is. So he's a he's a very strong candidate. Brian Dozier, another candidate that's yeah. recent here. And uh, just, I, I mean, I'm sure everybody remembers him dropping off the clip. But I think the number one choice here at second base is Marcus Giles of the Braves. Early in this stretch, we're talking about uh, 2000 to the present. So he had a season in 2003 where he hit 316 with 21 homers, 14 steals, 49 doubles, and 917 OPS. His next two seasons were strong too, never at that, not as good as that, but he hit 311 with an 821 OPS the next year, 291 with an 826 OPS the following year. And then two years later, uh, I think the Braves non-tendered him. He was like, it, it was just such a sudden fall for a guy who looked like he was going to be a face of the franchise type for, I, you know, I can I certainly remember that the Marcus Giles era well as a Braves fan, but as a fantasy in, in fantasy, he was a stud as well. And then he just, nobody wanted him. He ended up finishing his career age 29 with the Padres hitting 229 in 116 games. And your guess is as good as mine for why he dropped off. Cause I can't think of a, you know, he was the guy involved in that collision with Mark Pryor. But I don't think he missed as much time as Mark Pryor did. And that was in 2003, the collision, right? Was it? I, I don't think so, because Mark Pryor's awesome year was 2003, right? It I all comes hurt, full circle. I think it was I thought he hurt the shoulder in 2003, but pitched through it. I could be wrong. I don't think so. I think yeah, it was, it was July, 2011, two, July 11th, 2003. Yeah, that's Boom. what I'm seeing as well. That was the collision? Yeah, he heard. It. He's talked about that since retiring. That that was that was the biggest issue for him. Hmm. Okay. So Scott holds Marcus Giles near and dear to his heart as an Atlanta Braves fan. But a lot of great options here. I mean, Brian Dozier. I mean, honestly, 2018, the third best second baseman in fantasy. Very next year, 19th best second baseman, just completely fell off, and now finds himself as, you know. A utility, a bench bat for is what is he on the the Padres now? Where is Brian Dozier? Yeah, he signed with the Padres, but yeah, on the it's Padres. not even clear if he was going to make the team. I don't right. think because I think yeah, it was a just, minor league invite. It's completely, completely fallen off here. Chris, what do you think about second base? I think Marcus Giles is a really good one. Um, just because it was such a, a shot out of nowhere, you know, his age 25 season. And then by age 20, age 27 is his last fantasy relevant season. Um, I would throw another one in there that, uh, you know, let's just really dig the knife in and twist it uh, for Scott. Uh, Dan Ugla, who uh, was fantasy relevant in his first season with the Braves. It was a big trade, 36 home runs, 233 average had hit at least 30 homers in five straight seasons heading into that one uh, was, you know, the premier 
power hitting second baseman of that era, really, and was basically never useful for fantasy again. Hit 220 the following year, 179 the year after the Braves waived him. Um, so, yeah, I think Dan Ugla would be a good choice. I think Brian Roberts would be a good choice, although in both of those cases, they were 30 and 31. Yeah, they're pretty. That's, when that's the what struck came, me when I thought of Dan, when I, when I saw Dan Ugla as I was going through this exercise. Like He was I, an old rookie. Yeah, I, I did not, as it was playing out and as he was declining in this dramatic way, he was 32, 33 years old as a middle infielder. Like, yeah. what did anybody expect? I, I don't remember feeling that way at the time it was happening. I think partly everybody was recalibrating their expectations for how good somebody could be at a certain age after the steroids era. Um, but yeah, it, it totally makes sense why Dan Uglin he was when he did. He was a very good example of that idea I, I brought up a couple weeks ago of old player skills. Uh, you know, he started as a 26-year-old because he was a Rule 5 pick with the Marlins. Uh, had put up decent numbers with the Dimebacks, but just never got a chance. Uh, but pretty much always looked like an old guy. You know, it was all power and an on-base percentage. Wasn't really good at defense. Wasn't a great base runner. Uh, so once the bat started slowing down, it just it snowballed on him in a in a really significant way. Yeah, I don't think Dozier's far off from that either because as a power hitting second baseman, um, you know, once he got to 30, it was basically his age 30 season was the last time he was great. And then the following year, he's 31 and things just really start to fall off. I mean, he had a four-year stretch where he scored over 100 runs in every season. Brian Dozier, I remember it was so frustrating trying to figure out first half Dozier, second half Dozier. Uh, the guy's always all over the place. Uh, but, Chris, is your vote for Dan Ugla? Uh, no, I'm going to go with uh, Marcus Giles. I think that's a really good one. Yeah, I, th- I think Giles makes a lot of sense. Just based on the age, too. I mean, for when he fell off, yeah, uh, was just so surprising. And more so for you guys, because I wasn't playing fantasy back then. We, uh, we'd be remiss not to point out a, a couple of names that I'm sure everybody listening knows of because they're recent daniel murphy i mean he's he's too old i think to yeah. take the yeah. spot here but obviously both a dramatic and rise and fall for him and then jason kipnis who did yeah. collapse i think much sooner than anybody expected and now is a non-roster invitee for the cubs yeah kipnis was almost uh one of the guys i suggested for the one-year wonders because it was really one big season and then you know kind of injuries limited him otherwise uh well I mean he had his 2013 17 home runs 30 yeah, it was steals an okay season but yeah yeah he he didn't quite make it like yeah. I said I almost suggested him <laughs> almost almost third base the hot corner some interesting names here oh man I just read one of these and wow that brings me back El Toro Pedro Alvarez one of my keepers oh, yeah what eight nine years ago at this point uh he was one of my favorites. Chris, third base. I mean, it seems like there's someone very glaring at the top of the list here. Um, but what do you think about third base? Uh, yeah, so some of the guys I thought of, and, and I don't know how much they qualify. Like, Ramos Ramirez was in his 30s. Ryan Zimmerman was in his 30s. Uh, Todd Frazier, though, I don't think he was that old when he started to fall off. It was pretty much right when he got traded to the White Sox, if I'm remembering correctly. Um you know, had been a very good source of power who didn't kill you in batting average. Uh, Stole a 20... few bases, too. Yeah, had 20 steals, 13 steals. Uh, 40 homers with 15 steals in 2016. He did hit 225, but still, that's a useful fantasy season. Uh, and he was 30. And then pretty much after that, he's been uh, a fantasy non-entity. He was, I mean... Not completely useless last year. No, he was pretty bad. But yeah, I remember in a few <laughs> deeper leagues, like 15-team mixed roto leagues, like picking him up at some point as like a corner infielder or utility bat right. last year. All right. You're making the standard too high here, Frank. I, I love Todd Frazier. We can't do this to the Todd father. <laughs> Scott, what do you think about third base? Yeah, I think there are a lot of really strong candidates for at third base, and uh, I didn't even have Frazier listed among them. So... It's it's a crowded pool. I think the most dramatic th- one though is is Kung Fu Panda, who his uh, first full season hit three thirty with twenty five home runs, forty four doubles, ninety RBI, 
two years after that, 315, 23 homers. And, and at this point, he's only 24. And he's had two seasons like that on a team that is on the national stage. I mean, he looks like one of the rising stars in the league, mid-20s, just entering them. And then the production is not so great after that. It really cratered when after he signed that big year yeah. with that, that big contract with the Red Sox entering his age 28 season. He still he still was good enough those last 3 years with the Giants that he got a big deal from the Red Sox. Um but just they immediately regretted that. He wound up back with the Giants as more of a as more of a you know, like a bench player. But yeah, that career did not play out like I think anybody thought it was and it thought it was going to. Um, it's another situation where I, I assume his physique had something to do with it, and it was always a, a subject of consternation with the Giants in those early years. Is just, is this guy built to last? And the evidence would suggest he's not. He wasn't. It was it was a really early decline for Pablo Sandoval, so he would be my choice here. Uh, some others, just to kind of remember this guy exercise, Hank Blaylock of the Rangers. His decline happened in his 20s like it did for Sandoval. Morgan Ensberg, who we brought up on the One Hit Wonder show, but he had three, he had like a good three-year prime for the Astros and then faded very quickly. Uh, Mark Reynolds, who just struck out too much, but he had a, he had a couple nice years early in his career. Uh, and I'll throw Sean Figgins in there, though he he remained a viable steals threat for a long time. Yeah, Pablo Sandoval is my top choice here. Here's a here's a a name from from the past that I'm not sure uh, Frank would would remember. What about Joe Creedy? He was a pretty oh, yeah. good power hitting third baseman for the White Sox during their. Uh, their mid 2000s run and peaked in 2006 when he hit 30 homers and drove in 94 runs, hit 283. Uh, after that, his combined total for the rest of his career was 36 homers, uh, and he hit like 232 over three partial seasons before his career ended. Hey, man, everyone knows Joe Creedy. <laughs> you know, he was. Nah, I remember him playing on there. He was on their Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl World Series team. <laughs> yes, he <There> was. <laughs> uh, but Pablo Sandoval, I would argue that even before the Red Sox, I feel like he was so overhyped for so long. You mentioned those two big years that he had, Scott, and 25 home runs in 2009 um, with a with a 943 OPS, and then he had the the 20 just 23 home runs in, in 117 games. So he was on a massive pace that year in 2011, 909 OPS. But after that, he never had an OPS over 800 after that with the Giants. So I think he was kind of overhyped for a while. But yeah, he would he would be my pick for. I mean, I, I would say that he fell off in his mid 20s. I don't I don't think he was a great player even at the time that he signed with Boston. But I mean, yeah, the contract with Boston really really did him in. Um, shout out! I mean, he had 820 OPS last year, 14 home runs. So shout out to the Panda trying to make himself relevant again. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I, my vote goes to Pablo Sandoval as well. Uh, Chris, I, I do you have any? I think when you consider just the narrative aspect of it too, like I, this process, this process wasn't entirely objective for me. I, I really tried to put myself in the moment of how we felt, how 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 we felt about this guy at the time, how the league perceived this guy at the time, and. I mean, he was Kung Fu Panda. I mean, he was a star for a team that kept winning World Series. Yeah, it's th there may be stronger statistical cases for a bigger and cleaner drop-off than Sandoval experienced, but it was it's the one where I look back at who he was then compared to who he has become, and I feel sad. I feel sad about it. Let's move on to shortstop here. And Chris, do you want to A... Barry Scott's all-decade shortstop in Troy Tulowitzki for the 2010s, or would you like to bury someone that was made famous with your Florida, Miami Marlins at the time, or just yeah, so completely go in a different direction? I think the top three candidates here, and, and yeah, Hanley Ramirez is one of the guys I put on the list. He doesn't quite count um, because yeah, he, he did have that bounce-back season with, with the Dodgers, uh, had one more good season with the Red Sox after that, but really... 
you know, you remember the the pace he was on to start his season, his career. Uh, go throw it up against Derek Jeter's first five seasons, and Hanley Ramirez might have been better. You know, we're talking about a guy who, through his age twenty six season, was on an absolute uh, yeah. Hall of Fame pace. After there, that, there was a time when he was the number one overall pick in fantasy. Yeah, yeah, he was an absolute fantasy stud. You know, fifty homers, twenty nine steals, fifty or fifty steals two years in a row. Uh, with 29 homers one year. He was incredible, won a batting title. But he did have two good seasons after his age 26 season. That's not exactly what you want uh, over the course of nearly a decade from a player like that. But I don't think it quite qualifies. And then there are two other shortstops who right there with Hanley were on Hall of Fame paces, Troy Tulowitzki and Scott's pick, Nomar Garciaparra. We'll just name them both because I think they're the two strongest ones. And in Tulo's case... um. His 2014 season, he had a 1035 OPS. He only played 91 games, and that was always the issue with him. But he still looked like, as long as he was healthy, he was going to be a pretty dominant fantasy option. He just never was again. He was barely, I mean, I guess he was relevant in 2016, but pretty, pretty barely. How much of that was him being injured all the time versus him moving away from Colorado? Because... He got traded to Toronto in 2015, and his OPS, you mentioned it, the year before was over 1,000. He moves to Toronto, and he has a 777 OPS, which is 17 home runs, and the following year, 761 OPS. So I think it was a combination of the injuries and, and moving away from Coors Field. Yeah, but as Scott said uh, with Pablo, you know, putting yourself in the mindset of that time, uh, Troy Tulowitzki getting traded to the to the Blue Jays was still viewed as a massive move. You know, he was hitting 300 with an 818 OPS uh, for the for the Rockies. Um, so I, I think Nomar's probably the better choice, but uh, Tulo definitely is in the discussion. Yeah, I, I, I honestly don't know why I didn't have Tulo on my initial list. I think I was just remembering him being more like 32 when he fell off, but it, it was right around the age age 30 for him. Uh, it was more at a time when at least I was accepting that 30 might be as much as you're able to get from a shortstop, at least if he's not changing positions. Uh, to me, the more stunning drop-off at the time it happened was Nomar Garciaparra. Now, his you could tie a little more directly to injury. You know, Tulowitzki obviously had the uh, you know the accumulation of injuries that may have uh, affected his drop-off, but Garcia Parra, I can't remember what it was specifically, but it was like a back or something, his last season in the Red Sox, with the Red Sox, uh, that precipitated his move to the Cubs. But for the part of the season that was with the Red Sox, he was still really good. And then even after he got traded to the Cubs, he, he put up solid numbers but there just wasn't much of anything after that. He did have a minor resurgence as a 32-year-old first baseman with the Dodgers, 303 with 20 home runs, 872 OPS. But for a first baseman in 2006, that wasn't really that big of a deal. It was a much bigger deal as a shortstop for the Red Sox when it looked like he, Derek Jeter, Alex Rodriguez. I mean, it it was a triumvirate of shortstops there that— you know, it, it was always heading into every All-Star break. It was like, all right, which one's going to get left off the team? Because it had to be one of them. And it wasn't always fair who got left off. Sometimes all three would make it, I guess, too. But Miguel Tejada was part of that mix for a while as well. Um, but yeah, for that, like, Nomar Garciaparra absolutely seemed on a Hall of Fame, fame path. From 1997 to 2003, he hit 325 with 169 home runs and a 929 OPS. He hit 357 one year, 372 the following year. Nomar Garciaparra was huge. I mean, Nomar. And yeah, that's a pretty that's a pretty drastic drop-off for a guy whose career got off to that kind of start. Yeah, like Hanley, he did have... Uh, it was actually like Hanley with the, with the Los Angeles Dodgers, I think. That was was no more playing first base by then. Yeah, I, I I talked about it, Chris. Yeah, thanks for paying um, attention. <laughs> sorry, I wasn't. Uh, well, look, man, I got a lot going on. Doing a fantasy football draft, there's a lot going on. But yeah, he had that one season, but yeah, it wasn't nearly on the level uh, he had before. 
admittedly, I mean, this is what's so tough about, you know, when we're talking about who's most likely to make the Hall of Fame and they're still in their playing career, right? It's like, you know, Chris and I had Juan Soto in the Hall of Fame, but I mean, if you would have asked anyone when Nomar Garcia Parra was 26 years old, I think most people would have said he would be, you know, a Hall of Famer as well. So, yeah, it's just, it's it's hard to... It's hard to project that far out, but uh, yeah, really, really tough fall off for Garcia Parra. Uh, he's at shortstop. Uh, look, outfield, man, we could just talk for days and days. We got to limit it down to three outfielders, uh, and there's so many names on this oh, list. Can I just get an honorable mention at shortstop real quick? Sure. Steven Drew for the Diamondbacks. He he wasn't at near the mm. level of Nomar or Tulowitzki in terms of what his ceiling was, but big prospect who got off to a really good start and just faded before he even... Faded to nothing before he even reached his late 20s. Outfield, at the outfield position. Scott, I mean, you sent me a list of, there's, I want to say there's over 20 names on this list. <laughs> Chris pitched in some as well. And even I had a few names written down that, that weren't on the list. So, I mean, gosh, it's, it's tough. It's a tough, uh, you know, task. Limiting it just to just three outfielders here. But, yep. how do you do it, Scott? <laughs> so, I'll just go straight to my three including who I think is the the poster child for this entire exercise. And then we can get into honorable mentions after that. But number one, I think the most obvious, the, the first name that came to mind for this entire process is Grady Sizemore. Yeah. Who, uh, man, he was, he was shaping up to be a first-rounder for years to come. Age 25, 33 homer, 38 steal season. And then the very next year hit 248 with 18 homers, 13 steals. And then the year after that was basically done. Um, yeah, that was a meteoric rise and a historic collapse for Grady Sizemore. Carl Crawford, who famously uh, was kind of, it was kind of the, the death knell for Theo Epstein in Boston, signing Carl Crawford to that big contract after so many good years with the Rays and... The Red Sox just never got anything out of it. Crawford was eventually included in that deal with the Dodgers. That was basically basically a massive salary dump, right? The Dodgers oh, yeah. ended up with Adrian Gonzalez in that same deal. Um, yeah, so Carl Crawford, as a 21-year-old with the Rays, sold 55 bases, 59 the next year, 46, 58, 50, 25, 60, 47, and most of that time, he was a 300 hitter with double-digit home runs. And then comes the first year with the Red Sox as a 29-year-old. He had 255 with 11 homers, 18 steals. And it was basically all downhill from there. So, Carl Crawford. And then Jason Bay, who also has big, a high-profile free agent signing coinciding with his decline. He was a stud for about five years with the Pirates. High on base guy, hitting between 25 and 35 homers. Even had you know, double-digit steals most of those years. And then he he has one year with the Red Sox that's great, about on the same level. Then he signs a big deal with the Mets, his age 31 season. First year, 259 with six homers and a 749 OPS. Just completely disappears. So those are my three outfielders, Grady Sizemore, Carl Crawford, and Jason Bay. Carl Crawford, man, I mean... We've spoken about the Red Sox a few times today, just signing players that just did not work out. Crawford, Pablo Sandoval, man. And for you youngins out there, I love how you know I'm calling people out for being youngins. This is not your Billy Hamilton kind of steals source, Carl Crawford. I mean, someone who hit for high batting average, gave you home runs as well. I mean, Carl Crawford was sick in his prime and just went to Boston and it all went downhill. Uh, Chris, would you differentiate far off that path? of Grady Sizemore, Carl Crawford, and Jason Bay, the all-disappearing act outfielders? I think Grady Sizemore definitely makes it, um, and I, I definitely like the other two. I th there's another one who's kind of in the opposite direction of Carl Crawford, and that's Jacoby Ellsbury. Who, yeah, uh, I had Ellsbury written down, too. His 2011 season is, I'm doing that all-time fantasy draft, and I think he was my my 10th pick, uh, that is an all-time great fantasy season. 32 homers, 39 steals, 321 average. Had another good season, 52 homers, uh, 298 52 in 2013. Steals. 52 steals, sorry. Uh, decent 2014, although not nearly on the same level. And then just 
has barely been able to play uh, really over the last five seasons. Yeah. Um, so that, that was a pretty precipitous drop-off. Uh, I would also throw out, uh, you mentioned Billy Hamilton. He went from a guy who was, you know, an elite steel source to someone who can barely get on the field. And it happened pretty much overnight. Uh, and then a couple of guys who, you know, they left Colorado and that kind of explained it. But Carlos Gonzalez and Brad Hopp, uh, Brad Hopp was better than you remember. I would say he was someone, you know, I thought about him during that one year wonders uh, discussion last week, but Brad Hopp actually had four really good seasons with the Rockies Uh, OPS between 879 and 926, four years in a row, at least 23 homers each year, at least 84 uh, RBI uh, was basically done. Once he left the Rockies, the got traded to the the Rays, but even before that uh, had taken a significant step back. Uh, Brad Hopp, another guy who who probably counts for this discussion. I had Hopp on my long list. Yeah. I had uh, other names that you had on your long list, and I also had mine include Andre Ethier and um, uh, who's that other one? Uh, Alex Gordon. But Alex Gordon's a good one, too. I think Corey Hart would be a great choice yeah. from the Brewers, a power speed threat. Uh, Desmond Jennings. I mean, he never really took off to the extent that we thought he would with the Rays, but he did have a couple very solid seasons at the start of his career and was done by his late 20s, basically. A.J. Pollock seems like a good choice for this exercise. Yeah. Corey Dickerson. Not bad. A.J. Pollock's almost a one-year wonder. <laughs> yeah. Adam Duvall almost. is one that came to mind for me. It was not ever great, but, I mean, the guy hit two seasons, you know, massive power and then just completely fell off. Uh, Carlos Gomez was one. I mean, every year I I, I loved oh, Carlos yeah. Gomez. I had him yeah. as a keeper in one of my home leagues every year. Kept him, uh, and in 2014, 23 homers, 34 steals, 284 batting average. The very next year was when he got traded to yeah. pretty Houston. much when he got traded from the Brewers. And that yeah. isn't it weird how. I mean, maybe it's not weird. Maybe it's telling. But the change of scenery for so right. many of these players seems yeah. to. Seems to bring about the change, and maybe it's just coincidental, but I, it seems to happen so often that probably not. Now, Carlos Gomez is a good one. Uh, I would also throw in there, and this guy might need to make the list. Josh Hamilton. Yeah, I know he was thirty-one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but another guy who a signed a massive just contract. Thirty-one. I thought he was older than that. He was thirty-one. His last good year hit forty-three homers, one hundred and twenty-eight RBI. Signed that massive deal with the Angels. Uh, yeah. That I. Th- think they might still be paying him for um and hit what is it 39 home runs the rest of his career i think josh hamilton might need to make the list i am surprised you didn't bring up this name it's the last name i'll talk about frank now it's kind of like joe mauer and that he has a strong hall of fame case and i i think there's a chance he still ends up making it andrew jones he, yeah he had a long he had many years of productivity, but it ended around age 30. He he went from the Braves to the Dodgers, another mm-hmm. change of scenery. Well, really, that last year with the Braves wasn't quite as good as we were used to seeing. He had only 222, but with 26 homers, 94 RBI. Then he signs the big deal with the Dodgers. It's 158 with three home runs. It ends up being his only year with the Dodgers, um, and he's just he's just not a big deal anymore after that. That was his age 31 season that year with the Dodgers. By that point, I mean, he had already put together a borderline Hall of Fame career. But, you know, if the, if, if it's kind of thinking about what-if scenarios, I mean, what if he had four or five more years of the caliber he had already put together at that point? Uh, you're t- you're talking about an all-timer. 51 homer that, season, yeah. 41 homer season. He was He was a stud for a long time. All right, so let's all choose one outfielder here. Which I'm going is tough Hamilton. because, Scott, I mean, you gave three awesome choices here. It's so hard to narrow it down to just three. Well, Grady Sizemore, we all agree, has to be in. Grady Sizemore. Nobody should have to waste their pick on Grady Sizemore. But then right. that leaves somebody without a pick. <laughs> <laughs> That's your, uh, you guys get a pick. I don't need a pick. I'm going with Josh Hamilton. All right, um, Josh Hamilton. I'm, I'm going, I want to go with Jason Bay, actually, over Carl Crawford. Uh because I thought 
I was more surprised by that drop off. I thought that skill set would age better than yeah. it did. You know what? I do get a pick. I'm going to put Carlos Gomez as our utility. Oh no! <laughs> I want what? Did you want to? You want? Did you want to put a designated hitter there? I Travis Hafner was arguably the best hitter in baseball from 2004 to 2006. Had another hundred RBI season in 2007. Uh, was basically not fantasy relevant the rest of his career. He was. It was a really short period, but Travis Hafner was unbelievably good. He yeah. was in yeah. an era that you know overlapped with David Ortiz's peak. He was the best DH in baseball for three years. It was a guy who I was shocked he dropped off because I yeah. loved Pronk, man. Yeah, Pronk was him on every fantasy team. Gronk, who we got Pronk. Yeah, that's a, oh, it, nearly eleven hundred OPS in two thousand six, mm-hmm. then eight thirty seven. Then just a bunch of injury-riddled seasons where, I mean, the OPS was still all right, but never yeah, put up those numbers Yeah, he was never a fantasy-relevant guy after that. Yeah. All right, I'll give in. Travis yeah, I think we need Hafner. a true DH. We need, we, need to highlight, we need to highlight Pronk on this podcast. As... And, and Jack Cust was the other guy I mentioned as the DH just because he was, he was kind of like a, like a poor man's Travis Hafner. I threw Chris Carter on the list, too, as an yeah. honorable mention at, at Util. Uh, he already but got a we... mention on this show. Chris Carter. Two <laughs> mentions for Chris Carter. Good for him. Uh, we are at the one hour mark, and we did not get to pitching. So oh. I think we are uh, going to have to do a rapid fire here. Okay. Where you Oof. guys, Gosh, and this is not a good uh, position for it. All right. So how about we all pick two for starting pitcher? All right. All right. I've got my two. Okay. Go ahead. Where are you? you? Dontro Willis. Uh, that was. Basically overnight, went from Cy Young winner, sort of relevant the next year, and then absolutely done. And Brandon Webb, I mean, looked like another guy who looked like he was on a Hall of Fame path. Uh, three top, I think he's the only player in this decade to have three straight top three Cy Young finishes. I might be making that up, but and they were top two. Uh, so it was top. top it was three finishes. straight top two Cy Young finishes. Yep. Is what it was. So. Yeah, yeah he, was, uh, he was an ace from the day he arrived, yeah. and then he hurt his shoulder, and it was done. Didn't pitch again. <laughs> yeah, now that's um okay. If those are your top two choices, mine are Tim Lincecum, who I think is yeah. too uh, like you know if if Grady Sizemore isn't the poster child, Tim Lincecum is two two time Cy Young winner, two time World Series winner, couple no hitters, not going to the Hall of Fame because that's how. Sudden his sudden and complete his collapse was. And then Mark Mulder, who was my favorite of the A's big three at the time. It was a big three. You could probably also consider Barry Zito for this exercise. Yeah. Tim, Tim Hudson was probably my least favorite of the A's big three, and yet he went on to have the longest and most fulfilling career. Mark Mulder um, was a Cy Young runner-up with the A's, had three seasons of true four seasons where he was a true ace and then a fifth seat year that was in the middle there that wasn't so great and then he just collapsed there are so many great names on this list too i mean matt harvey uh jordan zimmerman's a great one as well jake pv scott casimir you mentioned zito josh johnson was somebody who i absolutely loved for fantasy purposes uh and he was just someone who was derailed by health but, man, there's so many. I mean, Ubaldo Jimenez is someone who we, we tried to bring up last week, but he probably fits more so into this one, uh, this exercise as well. But And he did it in Colorado, which is just the craziest part of all this. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna go with someone who, you know, I drafted and burnt me personally, and I'm gonna going to stay in San Francisco, and I'm going to go with Matt Cain. Yeah, that, that seemed like the obvious next choice. Yeah, Matt Cain was just another one where I, you just – you didn't see it coming. It was just – I mean, with Lincecum, you kind of had it in the back of your mind because of his delivery, and you worried about it a little bit. Um, but man, Matt Kane was just yeah, was not he, expecting that. Uh, threw a no hitter in that 2012 season. Had a three year stretch with a 293 eight, 293 ERA, 882 innings over four seasons, uh, and then after that, basically wasn't useful in fantasy again. I mean, a four ERA in 2013, but that was in a in a different era when a four ERA, you know, was really truly borderline, whereas now it's it's at least useful. Um, so yeah, that that was basically he was done in twenty twelve as a twenty seven year old. 
You want to talk about disappearing acts? You can't do it without closers. You guys, quickly, give me each one closer uh, that basically disappeared off the face of the... I mean, we could just do... We could do a whole show on 100 different relievers that fell off. I I, I hate to make this my choice, because I'm sure we all agree. Eric Gagne. Yeah. It's obvious. I mean, one of the most... A closer who actually won a Cy Young Award because that season was so dominant. And for like a three-year stretch there, he was the preeminent closer in baseball. And it just was so short-lived. Uh, so that's, like, he has to be here. Yep. And uh, I'll throw out Trevor Rosenthal. Uh, consecutive 45 save seasons, huge strikeout numbers, uh, 2014 and 2015. Uh, had a decent 2017, but wasn't a closer, wasn't healthy. Um, but So he was basically done after those two years. I, the book is not written on Trevor Rosenthal, who can will I, I just save games for the Royals here. this year. Before we close, we're already over time. <laughs> Go ahead. All right, so Keith Folk, who uh, was a high-profile closer signing for the Red Sox, had one great year for them after yeah. several great for the White Sox and A's and dropped off suddenly. Brian Wilson, of course, Fear the Beard. That was short-lived. Andrew a Bailey, giants. a former Rookie of the Year oh, closer yeah. for the A's who had a ton of our problems. Another Chad guy who Cordero. went to the Red Sox and fell apart, right? Uh, yeah, he won, he won Rookie of the Year with the A's, though. Chad Cordero and Drew Storen, both first-round picks. It was uh, you know, a big, a big deal at the time. that the And it was the same franchise, the Expo slash Nationals, who took Cordero and Storen in the first pick to be the, with the first, their first pick to be the closer. And they both had, you know, some success in the role, but were short-lived. I think Chris Perez was a first-round pick for the Cardinals as well, and he had a few good years closing. Um, but, yeah, it was short-lived. So that's it. A lot of relievers on the list, a lot of pitchers. Uh, honestly, could have done a two-hour show today on the all-disappearing act team. But there you have it for Chris and Scott. I am Frank. We will talk to you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.